everybody. Before we move any further, I just want to acknowledge on this September the 11th, as we all know, it changed the destiny and the lives of so many people. Maybe you, maybe your family. I know it did for mine. My brother at that time was a one star and he was flying to Fort Dix where he had to land. And actually, I think they landed in Cincinnati or Columbus and then the government had to come and pick up Greg and move him to wherever he was going, and then he would be deployed shortly thereafter. My other brother, retired colonel now, was also just changed, and, and many of you were changed. Your life was changed. Many of you in this room were National Guardsmen and all sorts of various officials or in different places. And, and so today we do want to recognize and just acknowledge for just a moment the lives that were lost, of course, but then also I want to recognize the first responders and our military men and women who have been so brave to stand and to protect uh, our world from evil. In fact, before we pray, can we have all of our first responders and all of our servicemen and women stand wherever you are? Would you please do that for us right now? Can we thank God for them? We thank you. And I know that uh, those that uh, like the first responders in our military, they do not like that. Too, too bad. Father, we do remember those lives and those families that were affected by September the 11th. Be it that they were there in New York City that day or Pennsylvania or in Washington, D.C. Those that God lost loved ones, we just ask you, God, to comfort and to show yourself strong on their behalf. Lord, we pray for those that gave their life as a result of that 9-11 day. Our servicemen and women, those that went up into those buildings. Father, we just thank you for the act of bravery that we have seen so repeatedly in this nation. We ask, God, that you would comfort them. Lord, we pray over our country today. We ask you for your hand of mercy and grace and And Lord, we just say, there is no other God but you. We need you to move. Lord, we pray over the nations. You said, ask of you for the nations, and you will give them as an inheritance. Lord, we're just asking for the nations, and we pray, God, that they would just come across this world. Lord, the peace that can only come through your name. Lord, we thank you. We honor you, and we do stop, and we just reflect on uh, this day. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. Can we just thank God one more time for His goodness, His mercy? I know it changed my brother's life forever, and uh, speaking to some retired service people after church today, the, the impact that it had upon them and friends that they lost in Afghanistan or in Iraq as a result, uh, it's something that we should, never, we should never forget. And of course, we want to welcome those that are joining online from one of our locations or maybe one of the 13 correctional facilities here in the Austin, Texas area. It's great to be with you guys as well. Celebration Church, can we say hello to our online congregation? Good to see you guys. And uh, yeah, Texas, you guys. Avery, stand up. Avery, this is our youth pastor. This is Avery. He's a graduate of the University of Alabama. Avery. Went to Alabama as well as his wife. Keep standing. And uh, he just, he told me, he said, Pastor Joe, if you don't mind, I'd like for you to call me out, have me stand and just, just have people see what victory looks like. Why did you tell me to do that, Avery? But uh, no, 
but you are happy. You are happy. Amen. Okay, have a seat. And uh, A&M, hey, you guys, you, guys, you guys had a tough day as well. We're praying for you. Uh, you played Appalachian State, in case you didn't know. And, uh, but God is good. God is good all the time. Baylor, Baylor um, also lost. And uh, a lot of, just a lot of problems that we have right now in Texas. But uh, LSU won. And, uh, and the Cowboys are going to win tonight. That's, that's it. Cowboys are going to win tonight. Don't forget to download that song that was released Friday, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. It's getting a lot of play. It's going to be a big time song. If you don't have it on your iPhone, go buy an iPhone and download that. But we are getting some great reports, and I really do believe that churches all over the world will be singing that song as well as a few others that are going to be released here soon. And uh, give it up for the team that puts all that together, our worship team. Great. A lot of good things happening. Of course, wave coming up. Don't forget to be a part of the next wave meeting. It's going to be it's going to be awesome. We're in a message series that we're calling "Things That Matter." Come on, say those three words with me. Things that that matter. And I want to just um, well, we're talking about what basically when we say things that matter, we're talking about is life can be confusing and complicated and and chaotic. And life, of course, as we know, like a windshield can just become so cloudy. We lose our clarity. We lose, we lose our center line. And as a result, what happens? We can crash. And I think it's always good to refocus and, and if you will, maybe rediscover what really does matter and what does make the difference for, for life, for a better life. And that's something that I think that the scriptures are very clear about because the season that you may be in right now doesn't have to last forever. Do you realize that Israel, when God brought Israel out of Egypt, it could have been a 14-day journey. They could have gone right in 14 days to the promised land. It's a two-week walk. But the Bible says they turned it into what? 40 years. Deuteronomy talks about they just were circling the mountain. She'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. They just kept circling. And finally, Moses said, how long are we going to keep circling around this mountain? How long are we going to keep circling around the promises of God? And what was happening with Israel was that they did not know what mattered and what did not matter. What was valuable and what was not valuable. What was important what was not important. Last week, we talked about the importance of friendships. The importance of a small group. The importance of having people around you to hold you accountable, people that will be there to hold you when your world is falling apart. The Bible says that David was in a battle, a Goliath, if you will. He was fighting another generation of giants. And as we talked about last week, David in that battle became tired. He was weary. He was an older general. He was an older warrior. And now he needed friends. He wasn't able to do what he used to do. And the Bible says that David's men came around him. And by by the hand of David and by the hands of his small group, he wrought a victory. And frankly, the reality is, is that you're not going to get many victories by yourself. It's always going to be because of the hands of people in your small group, the hands of your friends around you. The next generation, I will tell you as well, your generation, your, your children, your sons and your daughters, th- their future is going to be as much dependent upon their friends around them as much as anything else. 
And so today I want to talk about the importance from the book of Acts. We're going to go to Acts chapter 6, the importance of the Word of God and the importance of, of prayer and the Word. We're going to put these together because God puts these together. And I believe that God has a prescription for us. He is the great physician, and the great physician writes prescriptions. And he has a prescription for us. The problem is you've got to take the prescription. How many have ever had the doctor say, now how many days did you take that antibiotic? <laughs> I took it for two and I started feeling better. And in your coma state, you're now wondering, how come I am in ICU? Well, you can't just take two days and think that you're going to be well. You've got to take the whole bottle. Not of alcohol, but the whole <laughs> bottle of the pills. And God has given us the greatest of all pills. And of course, it's the old cliche, the gospel. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Where's my preachers at? The gospel. You need one pill, the gospel. Come on, turn to somebody and say, take your pills. Take, take your pills. All right. And of course, I want us to see from the book of Acts, it was early on. Now, chapter 6, there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. This book is a 50-year book. So whenever you say, we want to see the book of Acts come alive in our church, and I've had people say, Pastor Joe, is this church a, 50, or a book of Acts church? I said, absolutely. You stay planted for 50 years in one church, you'll see it all. Problem is, you're moving around, you're floating around, and you'll never see it because you're just here and there, a little bit of here, a little bit of there. But for 50 years, this is the coverage of the early church. And now we come to chapter 6, and this is, of course, the first internal struggle that they're going to have. Now, they've had, they've had persecution. The Bible talks about that in chapter 4. Chapter 5, they've had character problems with Ananias and Sapphira. These were two people, two leaders, but they were also very vocal about their, about their willingness to give what God has given to them, and they're going to return the blessing of the Lord in their tithes and in their offerings, but they did not. They held back. And the Bible says God killed both the husband and the wife on one Sunday morning. What would happen to our church if the Lord killed all the non-tithers in our church? <laughs> anyway, it'd be awful silent. <laughs> In fact, the Bible says Ananias, he goes, man, when God blesses me with the sale of this, per, of this property, I'm going to bless the Lord. And, and he held back. It wasn't that he didn't give. It's what he, it's what he vowed. And he vowed. And, and he actually wanted to call attention to himself. And, and of course, God does want us to be careful what we say. And he also wants us to be careful of our motivation and why we give. But he does want us to give. Because you can't say, I worship the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, but not with my checkbook. I worship the Lord with everything but my substance. No, the Bible says worship the Lord with, with the tithe, which is the first of your substance. In other words, that's not a debatable subject, in my opinion, Old and New Testament. I always say, if you want to go New Testament, it says they gave all. So be thankful for the 10%. Um, so Ananias stands up, he goes, man, when the Lord gives a sale to this property, I'm going to give back to the church. And, and the disciples said, did you say that you were going to give part of the proceeds of the sale? He goes, uh, uh, well, yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, I did. I think I did. And next thing you know, he goes, well, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And, and he fell dead. And they carried him out and did his funeral. 
His wife shows up a couple hours later. She was a little late for church like normal. And uh, they go, Sapphira, did you, did you and your husband say you guys are going to give this? And she goes, yeah, we did. But uh, in fact, where is my husband? They said, well, the same people that carried your husband to the cemetery is the same people that are going to carry you to the cemetery. And the Bible says she dropped dead and they carried her out. And fear fell upon the whole church. They had the greatest offering that they ever had in the history <laughs> of their church. That's in the book of Acts. That's not made up. That's it's pretty exciting if you're a giver, <laughs> not a taker. But now we come to chapter 6. And the Bible says, because now you're going to see the establishment of what matters and what doesn't matter. Or if you will, the establishing of priorities. At that time, it says, while the disciples were increasing in number, at the time when the church was growing, and we are in that season as a church. Last week for Labor Day weekend, we're almost 25% more from Labor Day to Labor Day this weekend, who knows? It's good. And I also say that if you're not growing in the Austin area as a church, you're not being nice. All you have to do is open up the door. And there's so many subdivisions and people moving in. And, and of course, we, we want to continue to grow even if it wasn't happening. But the truth is we're seeing a lot of growth and a lot of increase. But I want you to notice it was an increase of what? An increase of disciples. It doesn't say an increase of attenders. It doesn't say an increase of just uh, those that, that went to church. It says they were disciples. These were people who were going to be in church every week. I've had, pastor, I've had people say, Pastor Joe, I've been in a celebration church for 22 years. I said, wow, really? Yep. Okay, let me think about it. So you were in the library with us? Yeah. We only had seven people. There were several days, weeks, we only had seven, 10, 15, 20 people. Yep, but I was there. No, no, no you weren't. <laughs> See, people think. A disciple knows, but people think. And, and I've met people that say, Pastor Joe, I, I attend Celebration Church, and I've been a part of that church. And I love the sentiment, and I love that that is true, that this might be your home church. But disciples don't just attend. Disciples don't just here and there, every now and then. It's, but they are a part of the fabric and the foundation of the church. I'm not interested in just growing a large church or having a large attendance. Because God is not going to count our church. He weighs our church. He weighs it. He, he could care less about, about having multitudes of people. See, because you're going to see in just a moment. He doesn't care about the numbers. He cares about the weight. The weight being, are they disciples? Are they like Christ? Are they in Jesus, not in church? A lot of people are in church, but they're not in Christ. And I don't want you to come thinking, well, this is one of those mega churches. Nope, mega gag me. It's not a mega church. It's not a mega church. We're not. I don't know what, well, a mega church is where they have X amount of people that attend. Well, that doesn't mean anything. What, what matters is what you're about to see in the increase of the disciples, which is what God wants more than anything. Along with that, it says a complaint arose. Now, how many know when you grow, you're going to get complaints? Not just as a church, but in your own life. How, how many have seen when, when you were blessed, your business was blessed, 
you were able to maybe purchase that new home or you increased in your square footage and you got a complaint from your family. You got a, you got a complaint from somewhere or somebody. And so every time there is an increase in your life of growth, of capacity, you're growing in your career, you're growing in your life, just, just realize there's going to come challenges, there's going to come issues, there's, there's going to come probably uh, naysayers and, and people who are going to have a problem with it. But here we find that the disciples is increasing in number, but then the complaint came on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews. So the Hellenistic Jews were those who were Greek-speaking, and they, they felt like they were being overlooked. They were being overlooked when it came to the Meals on Wheels program or the Amazon delivery service from Celebration Church because it says their widows against the native Hebrews, they were Aramaic, by the way. They were Aramaic in their language. It says because of their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So as they're hearing about, how many know you, you don't want to get in the way of hungry women? And uh, it's awful quiet. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have gone there. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying, this is what the Bible says. And uh, there's a real fight going down with hungry widows. And so the disciples with the 12. So the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples. They called a meeting. And they said, uh, listen, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. So there was probably some dropping of the ball. There probably was some widow. There was some people that were not getting their Meals on Wheels program because the apostles were trying to do it. And so they were trying to lead the church and at the same time lead with meals and, and bringing food. And so they said, if we keep this up, we're not going to be able to read our Bible. We're not going to know God in prayer. And so if we neglect the word, if, we are, if we're walking away from the Bible so that we could give food to people, this is not going to be the right direction for the church. Therefore, brethren, why don't we select from among you seven men who have good reputation, full of the Spirit. That word, their reputation, means they don't eat what they're trying to serve to the people. How many eat half of your French fries from Chick Fil A on your way to the house? Let me see. Y'all. I don't know what happened. I don't. Know. So what they were really wanting to make sure is that these guys didn't eat out of the bag on their way to the women's house. Good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. Look at the character, and look at the quality of leadership that they wanted just in delivering food. Who we can put in charge of this task. Then verse 4, we will devote ourselves to what? To prayer and to the ministry of the word. Verse 5, the statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. They chose Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, I like this guy, Timon. He was from South Louisiana. I call him Timon. Parmesan, or Parmesan, and Nicholas who I love his name, they call him Nicholas. He was a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid hands on them. What you find in Acts chapter 6 and what you find in the early days of the church is the necessary or the, the most important thing that God wanted them to do at this time was to establish what matters. 
the establishing of what is important. Because if we continue to go in this direction, the apostles were saying, we, we're not above that job. We're not above serving. In fact, we're all about taking care of people. How many know the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 25? Let's go there for a moment. Matthew 25, Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, and then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered, and he's going to separate one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right side, Come, you who are blessed to my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. You gave me some food. I was thirsty. You gave me a drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I was naked. You gave me some clothing. I was sick. You visited me. I was in prison. And you went online and told me that you loved me. Then the righteous will answer him, well, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you? When, 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 did, when did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger, invite you in or naked or clothe you? When did we see you in prison or in sick? And the king says, well, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. In other words, you saw value in everybody. You did it to me. That's to me, when I read that verse, that's like when Paul hears the Lord say to him on the road to Damascus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Me? Like, it, I may be persecuting, but not, not you, Lord. Is that you, Lord? He goes, yeah, it's me. See, if you attack Christianity, you're not attacking it. You're attacking him. When you attack when you attack your brother and your sister, you're not attacking it or even them. It's him. You have to be very careful when it comes to the kingdom business of how we handle people, how we, how we treat people. And then he says, then he will declare to those on the left, depart from me, you accursed ones, into eternal fire. He says, for which has been prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry. You didn't give me anything. I was thirsty. You didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger. You didn't invite me in naked. You didn't clothe me sick and in prison. You didn't visit me. And then they themselves will also answer, Lord, well, when did we see you hungry? If we had known it was you, we would have done it. If we had known that you wanted us to go see them, we would have visited them. A stranger, naked, sick, or in prison and did not take care of you? Really? It wasn't? No. And then he will answer, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There's no question that when you look at Matthew chapter 25, even in the separating of the sheep and the goats, the emphasis is on works. The emphasis seemingly has a very strong statement that you need to produce. That if you're saying that you're a believer and then out of your life is just words and not action. In other words, anybody can say they have faith, but what does James say? Show me your faith by your what? By your works. Now, are you saved by works? Well, now you get into the debate, of course, and now you get into the even Abraham as it relates to his believing God and, and trusting God. And the reality is, as I think that there is a, well, there's a healthy, there's a healthy balance. We're like an airplane when it comes to grace and, and truth. We're two wings. We're not saved by works. 
How many know that? We're not say, I'm not saying, I can't work myself into heaven. I can't be good enough. I can't give enough away to get myself into heaven because even my righteousness is as what? Filthy rags, the Bible says. No matter how good I try to be, it's never going to, it's never going to meet the standard of God, which was only met in Christ on the cross. The perfect Lamb of God, the sinless one who died for us. But for those that say they are Christians and then yet they have, they have no fruit. They have, they have no life. They have no, they have no productivity. Jesus said, I'm going to take it away from the kingdom that was supposed to bring fruit and give it to a kingdom that, that will become fruit bearing. You and I should be fruitful. You and I should be fruitful if we're calling ourselves Christian. And the fruit is how you treat people. Ultimately, it's how we, how we handle people. People that we know, people that we don't know. All that to say that God has always wanted the church to make sure that they are caring for the poor, that we are caring for those that can't care for themselves. That's the kingdom of God, caring for the needy. But Acts chapter 6 kind of gives us some indication that as important as it is to be involved socially, as important as it is to be involved in the physical needs, the practical needs, the natural needs of people. There's something else that God does want us to never lose. And that is the importance of what it means to walk with God in prayer and in the scriptures. I believe that what we have seen in these last couple of years, especially in these last 22 years. We saw an emphasis on church growth. We saw an emphasis on, well, in the 90s, the seeker church movement and the friendly, the, what we would call seeker-friendly movement of churches where the doors became very wide open. And the doors naturally, I think, needed to be wider. I think that God is a God who says, whosoever will, let them come. And the church got out of its box. The church got out of its, out of its small thinking, its small mentality, and began to serve, began to give, began to be friendly to people. How I many know we're not supposed to be seeker-repellent? I've had people say, Pastor Joe, are you one of those seeker-friendly churches? What they're saying is, can we be in the bean to people when they show up here? Of course not. But what I do believe has come and where we are as a church and where we are as a world and as a kingdom is that we now need some balance. Here's the side of those airplane analogies. There is the wing of caring for people physically. There is a wing of this airplane that is supposed to reach out and outreach and serve and serve illusion. All that we do in meeting the practical needs, the, the worldly needs. But it must be, here's the other wing, in Jesus' name. Yeah, but I don't want to do it in Jesus' name because they may slap me. Or they may reject it. Or they may not like it. They don't like Jesus. They don't like the church. Or they are deconstructing. And the reality is, is that we must come back to what I think matters and what the early church was saying, what must matter is, yes, we are to be involved in the lives of meeting practical needs and the lives of those that are hurting physically. But if we are not people that know the word and know God in prayer, we will just become a club. And the church will just slowly drift into becoming a club, an organization, where we're honestly, like a lot of organizations, and they do good 
There's great organizations that start hospitals and, and take care of people. But the church of the living God must be founded upon the presence of God and the word of God. And out of the presence of God, out of prayer and out of the scriptures comes the meeting of the needs practically. But it can never take precedence over what I want to talk to you today about. And that is your own, your own walk with God. Your own history with God. If you think that this Sunday morning is enough for you, you're going to be fooled. If you think that you're going to be a man or a woman of God attending for the hour, hour and a half, two hours, two and a half hours, three and a half hours, some of you think it's not. It's not that long. I'm doing better. <laughs> By faith. <laughs> in fact, I've had people say, Pastor Joe, I want to go to a church. You can get this thing done in about 45 minutes. I'm not a lip injector. This is not like just Botox for, for your soul here. I'm not against Botox. In fact, I believe get it. If you can get it, you can have it. We have a lot of people that are involved in that industry. For real. <laughs> Lip injections, liposuction, get it. get it. Get it all. Get it all. Just make sure God recognizes you when you die. You don't want to. <laughs> My concern is that some people are going to go to the pearly gates and he's going to be. Is that you? Wow, I didn't give you abs. How did you get those abs? I gave you love handles. Where'd you get that butt from? All that to say, you want to be recognizable when you get to heaven. But what the disciples recognized and what the apostles began to see was a neglect for the word, a neglect for prayer. And when I use prayer, I use prayer presence together because I think that what you and I need to remember more than anything else is that in the world that has, as Lori said, seemingly is going crazier and crazier without the root, without this root, and this is what they were saying, without this root of us and the root of being grounded in the Word of God, as great and as necessary and as biblical as it is for us to be a church that is involved in social agendas or social situations is not enough without the truth. And what will end up happening, I really do believe, even in our world today, is that the church will just slowly drift. And what we will be is a collection of spiritual people without the reality of God in Christ. Pastor Joe, that's where I love, I like church, I like celebration, but I do differ with you, Pastor Joe, saying that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. In fact, I don't like that song for that reason. Because I do believe that God wants everybody saved, and I do believe if you're sincere, and if all you know is whatever name that was preached to you, and if you call upon that name, it doesn't matter what name of God you call upon, you're going to be saved, and it's going to be good, and 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 and. Just don't be, don't be so narrow. Don't be, don't, don't be so holy about this. And this is why they began to adjust early on in the church. This is why they recognized 
that if we don't preach and stick to the truth, if we are not giving what the church needs in the form of what the word of God says about truth, about God, about what it means to walk with God, then there will be no church. And the reason why many of you are mad at the country and we're mad about what we see, listen, starts in the church. In fact, when God comes back, he's not going to first judge the world. Who does he judge? He says, i got to first judge the church. I'm going to come and i got to shake everything about the church first because the reason why the nations go in the direction that they go in is often because of the church. I can't change the whole world, but I can take care of our church. I can make sure that what you're a part of or what you're coming to hear each and every week is going to give you that food that Jesus said will not perish. That you will one day be able to stand before God and there won't be any concern, there won't be any fear, there won't be any worry as to where you're going when you die. During the game yesterday, during the Texas-Alabama game that Avery was rejoicing over. I was at a funeral. I was preaching a funeral for Karen Day uh, Douglas, who's been on our staff for many years. and Her dad was 89 years old. And I, I told Lori, I said, yeah, of course, on most Saturdays, like all of us, we're probably watching the game or, or doing some activity with the TV on. I said, but boy, it was good for my soul to be at her funeral at 2 o'clock. Not only was I missing the end of that football game, but when you are at a man's coffin, you begin to realize, in fact, it causes you to remember what matters and what doesn't matter. Somebody said, good shoppers clip coupons. Great Christians clip obituaries. Let me say that again. Great shoppers clip coupons. Great Christians clip obituaries. Because what you and I learn from people who have lived for God or not lived for God, at their death you find out what matters and what doesn't matter. And so in the book of Acts, we got this, this challenge, this, this problem. And what they did not want was the church to just drift and to become what God did not call the church to become, just a, if you will, just a mission. Or just some kind of endeavor helping people. But he wanted, though we help people, he wanted people to help them with the truth. And with the reality of God. And I want us to go for the remainder of our time to Judges chapter 2. Because in Judges chapter 2 we find Joshua. Who we know Joshua was taken, of course, and called by God to take the children of Israel into the what land? The promised land. Moses was called to take the children of Israel out. Joshua was called to take the people in. Understand, God doesn't just call you out from hell. He calls you into Christ. A lot of people just want to get out, not in. The problem is Israel came out, but they didn't go in. And of course, they did not have priorities. They didn't know what mattered. And for 40 years, they turned their journey that could have taken two weeks into 40 years. And they wandered. And then, of course, Joshua comes along. And he takes Joshua and he takes Caleb. And the Bible tells us those two had their priorities right. And it was Joshua who God put his hand upon. And it goes on to tell us in Judges chapter 2. So the book of Judges is a very sad book. 
It follows the book of Joshua. And Joshua had dismissed the people. The sons of Israel went each to their inheritance to possess the land. In other words, he brought them in. And now he gives them the release to go to their homes and to their lands, to their communities. And it says, the people served all the Lord and served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua. In other words, like the book of Acts. The disciples and the apostles were bringing priority and bringing order, if you will, making sure that people knew what mattered. Now you've got Joshua, an apostle, if you will, with his elders, with his apostles, his disciples. And it says the people were good as long as they were alive. And all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord. I always joke about why. It's interesting that he was the son of a nun, which that's another story. The servant of the Lord died at the age of 110. Now, she wasn't a nun, like Catholic nun. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnath, in the hill country by Lano, north of Mount Gash. And all that generation, watch this, and all of that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation. After Joshua, after these elders, after these disciples, there came a generation, the next generation after them, they did not know the Lord nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreth. In other words, they just went full on demonic. Just renounced God, renounced Christ, renounced His Word, got into all sorts of demonic activity. And the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and He gave them into the hands of the plunderers who plundered them. In other words, God says, okay, you want Baal? I'll give you Baal. You, 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 want, you want to go ahead and cause yourself pain? I'm going to let you have pain. And He gave them over to plunderers, to the enemies. And the Bible says the enemies plundered them and he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. And wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them. How many know you don't want the hand of the Lord against you? As the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them so that they were severely distressed. I read Acts 6 and I read Judges chapter 2 in a similar fashion. I can make the connection. That what those disciples could have been seeing, what the apostles were seeing in Acts chapter 6 was potentially a correlation to Judges chapter 2. What happened when Joshua died? What happened when the elders along with Joshua died who were men of the word, who were men of, of God's presence, who had come out experientially with, the, with an encounter with God and now the next generation, I don't think they... They lack the stories. It's not that Joshua didn't teach the stories. It's not that Joshua did not give them the, the history and the Red Sea and the, and the, the applying of the blood and the Passover. I, I, think, I think the generation that we read about here that came after Joshua probably could have said, we were raised in Sunday school. We were raised in church. We were raised with the Bible. We were raised with memory verse but we didn't have our own encounter. We didn't have first-hand knowledge. Let me ask you a question. You ever met somebody that has first-hand knowledge of something? 
How many know there's a difference? So Lori, my wife, she's had, as you heard this morning, cancer. She's had surgeries, um, and she's not sickly, it sounds. <laughs> she's like, I'm not that sick. But she's had kidney stones and, and some other just really massive attack. In particular, she died twice on, on the table when sepsis shock went through her body. She went into sepsis shock as a result of a kidney stone. And all that to say, we've been on the phone. She's been on the phone with her mom. She's been on the phone with some of the people in our church who are right now battling kidney stone. And she on the phone will say, well, did they give you this? Well, no. Make sure they give you this. Lori's mom was in the ICU last week, and she goes down. She's looking at the oxygen level. She's looking at what they're giving her. They're not giving her what she knows to be something that works, and their oxygen level is way down. Lori says, why don't you try turning up her oxygen level, and why don't you try giving her Flonac? And she goes through this whole prescription. The next thing you know, Lori's mom is out of ICU because you know what? First-hand knowledge. Experience. How many know you got to doctor yourself in today's world? How many would agree with me? Now, all my doctors, I love you. I, you got, not you. I'm talking about other doctors. <laughs> but there's a lack to detail. I think that there's a lack of detail in every profession right now. I mean, some of you guys, you raised, your whole life you were raised in, in changing tractor tires or truck tires. And you were raised on the farm. And then you go over to some tire dealer and you're like hey hey I don't think y'all are doing that tire there right by my boy you take that hammer and you start doing your own you fix that tire and they're like hey how'd you do that my whole life I've been a part of tires got my hands dirty and what I think what generation came after Joshua they didn't have dirty hands with God they didn't have they didn't have a history with God and what I think the disciples and what the apostles saw in Acts chapter 6 is what we're reading about in Judges chapter 2. Guys, it's great to go feed people. It's great to give food. It's great to clothe. Of course, Matthew 25 tells us that. But if you don't have a prayer life, and if you don't have a word life, all the feeding of the food and all of the outreach and all of being nice socially is not going to fight spiritual battles. And the Bible says the enemy was having a field day with the children of Israel and they were severely distressed. You know what that means? There was in the land and over Israel, God's people were depressed. And they had no power. And I think we would all agree, we've traveled the world this last summer speaking to churches, Lori and I and the team. And no matter where I am, no matter what country we've been in, everyone says the same thing. Can you feel the pressure? Can you feel the stress? Can you feel the weight? How many would agree with me? There's just a weight everywhere you go. And it's not going to be food that is going to solve your problem. Not the food of this world. I tried on Tuesday to feed my 
my flesh with food. Let me tell you what happened to me. Tuesday, I got up. I worked out. We drove to Dallas. We signed an articulation agreement with Dallas Baptist University, DBU. So we're, we're now in affiliation with DBU. How many have ever heard of DBU, Dallas Baptist? And so we, we went up to Dallas, and they rolled out the red carpet, and they had all the VPs, and it was me and Connor and Jacob with all of these PhDs and all these doctors. And I said, Connor, what letters do we have behind our name? I said, Jacob, before you went in the ministry, and of course you went to Bible college, I said, but you were a drywall salesman. So when they ask you what's your degree, you're going to say a DSW. <laughs> DWS, a drywall salesman. Connor, you were a quarterback coach in college. I want you to say QBA, a quarterback assistant. That's what you're going to, they're not even going to know when you just tell them the initials, QBA. And then when they ask me, I'm going to be an HHD. I went to Huntington High School. We were the Huntington High da- Dogs, the Hound Dogs. Huntington Hound Dogs. And so they introduced us. This is Pastor Joe from Celebration Church. He's got an HHD, and they all went, ooh. <laughs> so anyway, we signed the articulation agreement. I'm doing good. I'm strong. I get in the car. Connor and Jacob, they fly to Birmingham for some meetings, and I'm driving back, and I get to Hillsboro. Now, I am eating well so far until Hillsboro. And I pull in and I see the Sonic. And I get a little ice cream cone from Sonic right there in Hillsboro. And then I see the Buckies. <laughs> and I got turkey jerky. I got kettle corn. And I got two jalapeno kolache cheese kolaches. Why are you saying this, Pastor Joe? Because when I got out of that car, after two and a half hours of driving from Dallas, I gained 49 pounds. And I couldn't fight off an enemy or a disease. I had more love handles than you could have ever shaken a stick at. And I went, look how fast my life just went down. How many have ever had those kind of eating days ever before in your life? And I think what we can be careful of in the Acts chapter 6 story is that, guys, we've got to be careful of what we're eating all the time, what we're feeding on all the time, lest we become soft. I'm all about it. I think that's what those apostles were saying. But, guys, if we don't have a foundation, if we're not eating the Word, and if we're not with God in prayer, we're going to be like Judges chapter 2, a generation that after those fathers knew how to get a hold of God in prayer, and those mothers that knew how, how many had a mom that knew how to get a hold of God in prayer? How many still have a mom that if you had a prayer need, you're, you're calling her? Those prayer mamas, the mothers of the church, those fathers of the church. But the Bible says the generation that came after Joshua, that came after those elders, they knew not the Lord. They did not have a personal, intimate union, communion with God. They went to church. They went to Sunday school, but they didn't know Christ personally. They weren't one with him. That's why Paul says in Philippians, that I may know him, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, being conformed into his image, being conformed into his likeness. That gives me what I want to give you. What did Joshua say to us, and what can we say 
what mattered to Joshua. Let me give you these things. Number one, what mattered to Joshua, what mattered to that generation before the generation that went astray, is that it was God's word. Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to do all the word of the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right or to the left. So that you may have what? Look at that verse. So that you may have what? Success. Anybody against success? The Bible tells me when you are in the Word, when you are doing your life according to the Scriptures, there's success. I don't believe in that success and prosperity teaching. All right, let me read a little bit more about that. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Oh, Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Prosperity and success. Does it mean everything's going to go the way you want it to go? Nope. But I'm going to prosper through those situations. I'm going to be successful through those. That I'm not going to fail. I'm not going to quit. When I'm in the Word, are you with me? We've got to be careful. When we think, well, God, doesn't, God really is not that interested in us being successful or prospering or being healthy. I just have a problem with you saying that when I read this Scripture. Because I do believe that the Word of God gives us a prescription of how to walk with Him. Does it mean that we won't have sickness? Does it mean that we won't have our trials? Does it mean that we're going to be able to prophesy our way out of all that? No, but it does mean this, that when those temptations and when those trials come, I know how to navigate it and I know how to stand at the end and say God is faithful and God is good and He does good. Number two, by Joshua's life, we know this, God's presence mattered to him. Joshua 1 5, he says, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was in the presence, or just as Moses was in my presence, as I have been with Moses, I will what? I'll be with you. Listen, God is not a respecter of people. But I do believe he is a respecter of people's hunger and thirst. Nobody's better than anybody else. But I'm going to tell you something your hunger and your thirst for God's presence will separate you from other people. When I left LSU and I didn't know where to go other than I knew I was called to pastor and I was a part of the probably the largest, most successful, if you will, according to the world's ministry at that time in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I was told this is how I go in the ministry. This is what I need to do. And I am at the same time I'm reading the scripture and I'm reading what I would call men of substance and, and men of character. And I'm reading their sermons and their messages and I'm reading just the scriptures. And I went, you know what? I don't want to be a little preacher boy on a platform. I want to be a man of God. And Lord, if that is the ministry, I don't want that. I don't want that way. And I moved back, and I'm going to tell you something. I locked myself, literally, I went alone, and I went away, and just got on my knees and lived with my Bible. Now, you can't do that if you got a job tomorrow. You can't say, you know what, honey, I'm not going to work. I'm just going to go what Pastor Joe did. Go to my knees, and I'm just going to go alone with the Bible. Well, you'll be hungry, You'll be starving and you'll be homeless and you will not have a wife after the couple of days. But that may mean, instead of you going home today and turning on that television set, it may mean you going home for just a few minutes. If you don't have kids, be careful of all of this. Don't disappear again from your family. Hey, kids, i got to go pray, Dad. Dad's going to be a man of God, Pastor Joe said. And they're like, can we just play catch? 
play catch. But it may mean get up early in the morning. May mean getting up a little bit earlier. May mean going a little bit later. May mean instead of watching that news program, just turn it off and say, Lord, I want to spend time with you. God's presence. Number three, what was important, what mattered to Joshua was God's power. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua, you're in power. Do you realize what's inside of you? Do you realize the power of God that is, if the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwell in your mortal body, you too shall be raised. It's in your body. It's in your mind. It's in your being. Most of us, though, look like the children of Israel after Joshua. Harassed and distressed and unable to overcome any temptation or any enemy's attack. I've been with you. Be strong and be courageous. Don't be weak. Don't be complaining. Don't be griping. Be strong. Be courageous. Come on, turn to the person next to you. and Say, be courageous. Come on, tell them. Some of you are like, I can't do that right now. Joshua, Caleb. See, when you're starting to think of why the generation didn't know the Lord and why they did not know his works, because they had secondhand knowledge. Another one would be God's purpose. Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross the Jordan. You and this people, Joshua, to the land which I'm giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Joshua, I know Moses is dead. I love how the Lord says to Joshua, Moses is dead. The queen has died. Now King Charlie is in control. (sighs) But he says, Moses is dead. But your purpose is not dead. Maybe somebody or something has died in your life recently. Maybe something has died. But your purpose doesn't die. Moses may be dead. Mom may be dead. That job might be dead. But your purpose is not dead. Because God is the God of purpose. You are on this planet for a purpose. And don't let who has died or what has died around you take you off your purpose. You are on this planet not just to exist. Not to just occupy space and air. Moses, I know you don't like what I'm telling you. But it's almost like the Lord says to Moses, or about Moses to Joshua. Hey, get a hold of this. Get a grip. Like, I don't want to hear it. You ever talk to somebody that doesn't want to hear it? I don't want to hear it. Don't talk to me. I don't want to go to the mailbox. There's bills in there. Yes, there's bills in there. Now go get them out of there. We need to have a meeting. We need to sit down and we need to decide what matters. And yeah, thank God for Moses. But he served his generation. Now it's time for you, Joshua, to serve your generation. And what Joshua may did not, in fact, maybe where they failed is they didn't prepare the next generation. Maybe they did not say and have that heart. I think every generation gets softer and softer as we've seen it. And we're seeing it now. I don't want to say something that's hard. I don't want to lose their friendship. 
I don't want to combat. I don't want to fight, Pastor Joe. Let's just go there and let people love who they want to love. And let's just love is love. God is God. And I'm good, you good. How many golfers do we have? You know what you say when you have a three-footer and he has a three-footer? Good, good. Am I good? You're good? Okay, let's just pick up. We both made a birdie. No, we didn't. We had 13 feet. You know we all know we were going to miss those putts. But if you give me good, I'll give you good. And the reality is, with God, you can't just say good, good. You can't just say love, love. You can't just say my way. It's his way. And then lastly, God's people. Joshua commanded the officers, and he said, listen, let's, let's pass through. Let's get the people ready. Let's prepare. Let's prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you're going to cross the Jordan, and you're going to possess the land, which the Lord your God is giving to possess it. In other words, let's make sure everybody knows the things that matter. Prepare. Let me tell you the two things that matter, guys, your prayer life and your word life you don't get on your knees and if you don't have that time with the Lord and if you're not in the Bible and you say, well, Pastor Joe, I just don't know where to start. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are good ones. Don't do Leviticus. We're not going to go there. Just start in the Gospels. Yeah, but I'm not a reader. Okay. Die. I don't know what else to tell you. That's your option. I can't read for you. I can't give you second-hand Bible knowledge. Well, my wife will read to me then. No, stop it. Moses is dead. Your wife is not, but pretend she is for now. You're going to read for yourself. Take your life and make it count. And we want people to do for us. We want people to feed us. We want people to nurture us. We want people... And that's why that generation, the Bible says it, didn't know God. Because you know what? They didn't go after God. They didn't experience His works. How many want God to do something experientially in your life? And I'm not talking about something crazy or fluky or flaky, as we would say, serial Christianity, nuts and flakes. We're not talking about that. But you cannot read. You cannot read the book of Acts. You can't read the scriptures without saying that God is the same God. He's the supernatural God. He's a speaking God. And He loves to move supernaturally. He loves to move in our lives. That last point is that He was preparing the people. And I close with this. In the book of Acts, let's go back. The last verse I want to give you, Acts chapter 6, verse 7 tells us. So when they get the things that matter in order, it says, Then the word of God kept on spreading. And the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. That's called success and prosperity came to the church. It's as though until they got the things that matter in order, the church stopped growing. And then in verse 7, it picked back up. Some of you are not moving. Some of you are not growing. And you are at a standstill. Life isn't moving for you. Your spiritual life isn't moving. Your prayer life isn't moving. The Bible's not, it's not living. There's just kind of a stagnation in your life. And you're like, what is going on? God says, I want to do verse 7 in you. But I need you to have a meeting like the disciples did. Let's identify what matters. And if you will just do these two things, guys. Jesus, I want to spend time with you. I don't know what to pray, Pastor Joe. Our Father, who art in heaven. Man, 
you're holy, you're awesome, you're a good God. That's an outline. Thy kingdom come in my life, thy will be done. Lord, I just want you to forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who sinned against me. As you begin to just talk to the Lord, pray the Psalms. And then number two, you just begin to say, Lord, I want to know your word. Go to the U version. My friend Bobby Greenwald started U version. It's got some of the greatest, easy to read Bible studies and ways to connect to the scriptures as any source. You can download that app. Almost a half a billion people have done the same. Can we stand to our feet today before we go? How many would agree you need to have a meeting with yourself about what matters? You probably need to have a meeting with your family about what matters. Some of you, you need this word that says, you know what? I've lost my direction. And I need today, before I go, Pastor Joe, I want to pray that prayer with you about asking the Lord to just help me to rediscover or to discover what's important, the priorities. How many would say, I need some alignment, fresh alignment in my life because I want things to move. Let me see your hand all over this place. God wants to bless you. God wants to move. And the Bible says he wants to bring back that increase. He wants to bring back that growth. He wants to bring back that momentum, that movement again. And you know what? The interesting thing is the church in Acts 6 was going through way worse persecution than the church are going through right now in 2022. So guess what? Greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. Don't get your eyes on this economy. Don't you get your eyes on the political world. Get your eyes and keep your eyes in the presence of God and the word of God. And he is going to bless you. He's going to keep you. Can we just extend our hands to heaven right now? I want to pray. I want to pray. Yeah, but Pastor Joe, hurry up. We've got a football game. Ah, now we're going to find out the priority. Come on, let's just say this out loud. Lord Jesus, I want my life to be in alignment. I want to live for what matters, for what is important, for what is eternal. Lord, open up my eyes and my ears to see what matters to you. I don't want secondhand revelation. I don't want secondhand knowledge. I don't want to just hear about you, God. I want to hear you speak to me, reveal your word to me. And Lord, my life is yours. I thank you for your grace that you're willing to receive me just as I am. And as you are with Moses, and as you are with Joshua, And as you were with Jesus, you'll be with me. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. I love you, Lord. And all of God's people said, come on, give the Lord a clap of praise in this place.